One, Forever Alone, is an ongoing story-based podcast and is a work of fiction by J.A. LaRock. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Chapter 14 The Shelter of Weakness I confirmed the gun was loaded and the safety was on. Then I returned to my bike. I headed north on Halsted Street and soon I arrived at Armitage Avenue. I turned west and could see Lincoln Park High School in the distance. The large walkway leading up to the school was always crowded with students whenever I would come pick up Ashley or go to some event at her school. The three-story building with its four massive stone columns and red and white sandstone gave it a look more akin to an Ivy League University building. There were square patches of green grass protected by black iron fences. Inside it was scarcely littered with small trees that led up to an open park that stretched out for several blocks. I walked towards the front door. There was no sign that anyone had made their way to the school. Unlike the other areas I had witnessed, there were no items left behind on the ground. The closer I got to the school, the less I thought about the present. A twisting in my stomach reminded me of the last time I was here. I came to a dead stop. A gust of cold air blew through me, and I felt the need to turn around. Just in front of the walkway, parked on the street, I saw it. It was a Mercedes E320, white in color. My father always wanted one. I remember the day we went to the dealership. His face glowed like mine when he bought me my motorcycle. I believe that's why he agreed to get it for me. He knew it was a dream I had, and having fulfilled one of his, he wanted to fulfill one of mine. I just stood there, staring at the car, looking inside its windows. A half-smile, which had appeared on my face when I first saw the car, had faded. What I was seeing was not real, and worse yet, it was a time I did not want to remember. Tim, you forget something in the car? Hearing my father's voice did not bring me any joy. I was no longer in that empty world of the present, but in the hollow world of the past, one that I wanted to leave behind. He stood there, just in front of the school's entrance. Looking at him, I knew he could see in my eyes that I did not want to be there. No, I'm... It's just... I'm done with high school. I'd just rather not be here. He was not going to let that stand. Not anymore. Seeing him walk towards me, I just wanted to run back towards the car. But even if I had done that, I would not have escaped. 
I doubt that's what's bothering you. What's wrong, Tim? Unlike many people who feign interest in people's problems, my father always wanted to know what was on the minds of his children, be it good or bad. I had just graduated a few weeks earlier. The Lincoln Park senior class would be graduating three days later, but up until then, most of the seniors would still be attending classes. Jonathan transferred here, Dad. You know this. I'd rather not run into him. After your fight? My father asked. Just because a parent cares enough to ask you about your life, your friends, and your troubles, does not mean a child will openly talk about them. My father, unlike my mother, was very good at getting us to talk. He was able to pry our feelings out without asking many questions and without appearing to be prying. Our fight, I responded. I felt the frustration well up inside me. I turned away from my father. I wanted to return to the car more than ever, and yet I wanted my father to understand what happened between Jonathan and I was not my fault. It was something that could have easily be remedied. Only if. Doesn't matter, Dad. I shouldn't even care. It wasn't my fault. I didn't make him leave. Then tell me, Timothy. What was it that made him leave? The reasons people disconnect from each other often seems incredibly stupid when explained to an outside party. Why would two family members who love each other stop talking for years over a baking recipe? I would laugh at something like that with Jonathan, blaming it on their inability to use reason. I always felt there was always a solution, and it can be found if you think about it, if you use critical thinking, and especially if done together. And yet, knowing all that, I allowed it to happen. There's nothing to tell, Dad. It's stupid. It was a lie on two counts. There was something to tell, and I wanted to tell it. And it was not stupid. It was an all-too-common problem that separates those who will from those who will not. That may be so, but just in case, why don't you run it by me, and we'll see. I turned back towards my father. There was no doubt he knew me, inside and out. Most parents never really know their children after a certain age. With my father, it was different. He knew what to say. He knew how to get me to talk, and he knew that I needed this to explain out loud, not just to him, but to myself. He knew school would be different, Dad. 
I told him how things would be. We couldn't be kids anymore. Not if we wanted to make something of ourselves. But he just couldn't understand that. So, he wanted to remain a child? What exactly did he do? That was the question. What did he do? Our school was just like Lincoln Park. Or any other high school for that matter. It had its social groups, its clubs and associations, but it also had direct lines of communication to the leaders of our next generation. From the children of billionaires, to foreign dignitaries, to legacies. It was not just about fitting in, it was about getting ahead and laying the foundation for the future. All Jonathan had to do was follow my lead. He was holding me back, okay? I told him that I hated to play the game, but it has to be played to get ahead. Dad, you know better than anyone else. You fought so hard working for Mr. Davalos. For so many years, you had to put up with all types of crap. But you did it so you could reach your goals to achieve. All I wanted was the same thing, to keep moving forward, to advance. So I learned how to play their game. I learned how to adapt. He didn't. I don't know what he thought he was doing. My father looked at me as if he had done something wrong. It felt like forever until he finally said something. I fought because of our family. There was no choice for me. I had to play the game to provide for your mother, your sister, and for you. My hope was that because of all the sacrifices I had to make, you, your sister, and you both would not have to make them yourselves. Adaptation is a powerful skill to have, but you cannot let it take you to a place where you leave the ones you love behind. I had to learn that, and luckily I did so before it was too late. You were wondering what Jonathan was thinking? Maybe he was thinking that as long as he had you as a friend, nothing else mattered. My opinion of my father changed that day. I had come to understand and forgive him for having such drive that he was not around during much of Ashley's and my childhood. I had come to look upon his willingness to keep pushing until he reached his dreams as admirable ability. But in the end, like so much else, it was just obligation. What would he have become without it? I looked my father straight in his eye. He was wrong. And so were you. 
I turned and walked away. I did not hate him. I was just disappointed. I could see my words had hurt him. And it would be a long time before we sat down and talked about that day. And even once we did, nothing was truly solved. I always thought there'd be more time to resolve what needed resolving. But is that not what we always think? The walkway was empty again. The warm summer breeze was replaced with a chilling wind. It brought me back, reminded me what I had to do. I wondered if I was losing focus because of fear or something else. The sky seemed to darken a little. I needed to get inside. I climbed the concrete steps of the school and found the large metal doors locked. I banged against them, but it brought nothing but sore fists. While it was possible the door was locked to prevent people from entering after the event, it was just as likely that the door was locked before anything had happened. I contemplated breaking a window when I saw the first classroom to the left had its window partially open. I jumped down onto the grass and pulled myself up and inside the classroom. Finding nothing of interest, I continued on into the hallway. I knew the layout of the school from visiting several times while Ashley attended. The bomb shelter would be one floor below me, where they kept their auto and wood shops. That familiar sound returned. My footsteps echoing through the vacant hallways. I stood at the top of the stairs and looked down. All I could see ahead of me was darkness. I slowly walked down the stairs. I couldn't hear anything else beyond my own footfalls and my breathing. It was much colder down there than up above. At the far end of the hallway was an emergency light. It cast a dim yellowish color, barely illuminating the room. As I reached the end of the hallway, I saw a red, large steel door. My hands gripped the handle, and I pushed with all my strength, but it would not move. I banged my fist against the door and began calling out, begging for anyone to hear me. I pressed my ear to the door, but there was nothing. Another failure. Nobody was there. My mind felt as if it was screaming as it searched for another place to check, another reason to continue searching. But I didn't want to listen to my mind any longer. I was drained of energy. I felt the coldness on my back as I laid against its door before slumping down to the floor. Reason was defeated, 
and my will was dying. My hand reached down and brushed against the handle of the gun. I felt ashamed. It had only been a few hours in this world, and already I'd lost my ability to deal with what was presented to me, to do what I said I would always do. Adapt. I laid my head against my knees. There were still questions to answer, and if nothing else, I knew I should continue with that search. If there was something to find for me, then I needed to find it, even if it meant abandoning my search for all others. However, a new thought invaded my mind. I thought to myself, was it possible that the real problem was with me, and that continuing on was the wrong choice? The emergency light flickered and then went dark. My eyes strained to find the stairs leading back to the first floor. A chilling fear coursed through me. Something was wrong. There was a feeling, no, a wanting to run that came over me. I quickly rose to my feet. It felt as if something had taken over my body. Perhaps fear, as I ran towards the stairs. I looked above me. At the top of the stairs, the hallway was much darker than before. I was only in the basement for a few moments, and yet it looked as if the sun had set. Halfway up the stairs, my heart was racing. The pain in my forehead had returned. Like a burning blade cutting through flesh, I fell to one knee in pain just before the top of the steps. I put my hand to my forehead, but felt nothing. I fought to stand, but my body froze. My eyes locked onto a shadowed figure, standing just at the top of the stairs. It looked like the shape of a human, but every ounce of my being wanted to flee from it. All I wanted was to move but I couldn't make my body do so. The figure took a step forward. The pain in my forehead increased. I opened my mouth to scream out, but nothing came. Slowly, like a predator stalking its prey, it moved closer to me. With each step, the pain in my forehead intensified. My vision blurred, distorting the image further. And yet, strangely, it felt more familiar and more terrifying. It reached out towards me, hand or claw I could not tell. Finally, the proverbial ice that held me in place shattered. I reared backwards. The room spun. I lost my balance. My foot tried to land squarely on the next step, but I fell backwards. My back and shoulders slammed against the edge of the steps as I slid down. My head cracked against the cold, hard floor. My body went numb. I felt myself losing consciousness. The figure stood above me. I could see that it was tangible, but it was cloaked in shadows, 
as if an aura of dark smoke surrounded it, containing all of my nightmares. As it hovered over me, I could feel its presence, and it felt like death. It leaned over, and once again reached out towards me. My eyes rolled to the back of my head. There was only one place left to escape, and that was into my mind. Next time. Chapter 15